I'm not sure if this has been your experience. I know this wasn't my experience for a lot of Christianity. I would read the Bible because I was told to read the Bible and I'd look at it and say, oh, it's just really boring. It's just not really anything that seems relevant or helpful to me. And, and I would give up sometimes after one or two days of trying to get in a habit of Bible reading. But I really believe this verse can, can be a reminder for us of what's possible when we are interacting with the scriptures. Jesus on the road to Emmaus is bumping into the disciples. It's out of context, like seeing your kindergarten teacher in Walmart. You're like, what? And, and so they don't really recognize him. And so he begins to open up the scriptures with them, shows them this amazing you know, story of the Messiah had to die throughout the Old Testament. And as he does that, as he shows them that, that he is in the Old Testament, it says, did not our heart burn within us while he talked with us on the road and while he opened the scriptures to us? This kind of an excitement that you can even feel where you just, you just sense the Lord's presence and you know that God is working is something that you can experience. It won't always be your experience because we're not, we shouldn't be led by our emotions, right? So the word of God endures forever and feelings come and go. But, but getting into the scriptures can be such a joyful part of your life. And if it hasn't been, there's reasons for that sometimes, right? A lot of times it's just because we waste our time doing stupid stuff. Insert anime comment here or video game comment here. or th Things where we're just like, hey, this is okay in, in moderation. But then we obsess over it and we have no time to hear God's voice, right? And then there's no time to really see what God wants to speak to us about. And so... We've got to be carving out time and making it a priority. I read an article in a, a few years back about a lady named Anat. She lived in Tel Aviv, and she wanted to give her mom a, a great present. And so she wanted to give her mom a bed, a new mattress, because her mom had had the same mattress for 60 years. That's dirty. That's nasty, right? So she's like, Mom, I'm going to do this for you. Mom had always resisted. But finally, her mom goes on a vacation, and while she's gone, she replaces the mattress. Her mom comes home and slaps her and starts yelling at her, what have you done with it? What have you done with it? Her mom had hidden a million dollars in that mattress, and it was thrown out earlier that day. And so she goes running after that, you know, down the street, and people are like, what are you doing? And she says, I threw away my mom's mattress. It had a million dollars in it. Really? So they start running. By the end of the day, the Israeli news crews in the helicopters were showing at dump sites across Israel people knee-deep in like hummus and St. Peter's fish, and they were just cutting open mattresses, and nobody found it, right? I mean, somebody found it quietly and, and enjoyed it. You know, and so why do I tell you that story? Well, it reminds me that we look for treasure in the trash, don't we? We think, you know what's going to satisfy me? The rerun. The rerun will satisfy me. Right? Or, or binging on Netflix so bad that my eyes want to bleed. Right? That, that will satisfy me. It doesn't. Right? That's why the psalmist said, turn away my eyes from looking at worthless things and revive me in your way. And so that takes faith. Right? We have to have faith to put away things that, that aren't really encouraging us, that aren't really building us up, and instead to see God's word like a treasure. And so tonight we're going to look at that. When we think about quiet times or daily devotions, Here's what it's not. It's not just a book that you read, right, apart from the Bible. So there's plenty of devotional books that you read, and unfortunately the titles are getting shorter and shorter, like one-minute one minute devotionals. Like, this is the least amount of time you can spend with God and still think, think you're a good Christian, right? And, you know, this, this is what a lot of people think of devotions. Like, oh yeah, I read my devotional book, and then I, and then I start my day. A devotional book can be a sweet complement to your personal time seeking Jesus in the scriptures. It can, it can complement that, but it should never supplement it, 
right? There's, there's great morning devotionals. Morning and Evening by Spurgeon is a fantastic devotional that you can check out. But when we read these books and these stories, we have to be careful because God doesn't promise that illustrations about his word are what is going to edify, transform, and, you know, change us. It's his word itself. Let me share with you what Richard DeHaan said. Richard DeHaan is the founder of the most popular devotional book of all time, Our Daily Bread, still being, you know, mailed out to, to millions of people. Here's what he said about it. He said, hold everything. Wait a minute. Have you read the scripture for today? It's only eight short verses, and it will only take you 45 seconds. Don't lay down this booklet and mumble to me. I'm in a hurry. You're delaying me. I see you're eating breakfast this morning, although you're late. You take time to feed your body, but you're going to starve your soul. Take the 45 seconds in and read the psalm and forget about reading the rest of this devotional as long as you read the Bible. These articles are designed not to be a substitute for the Bible, but to stimulate your desire for reading the Bible. If this booklet has caused you to neglect the Word of God, please throw it in the trash. Right? This is the founder of the most popular devotional. He's the one that should say, read my book. It'll really help you read my book. And he's like, don't read my book. Read the Bible. People need to be in the scriptures for the devotional time. Quiet time definitely isn't boring. Right? Nobody has to tell me, Andy, you know, you should go on a date with your wife. You know, you should hang out. I've been married for 12 years. People don't come up to me and say, you know, Andy, you've been ignoring her. You haven't talked to her for days and weeks. And you re- no, I love spending time with my wife. I'm leaving tomorrow at 5 p.m. Got here at like nine in the morning on a red eye. Why, why so quickly? Because I want to go home and spend time with my wife and my kids, right? And so no one has to coerce me to do that and say, you, you've, you've got to do that. And we need to realize we get to hang out with God. We get to hang out with the creator of the universe. It can be quite a joy. Spurgeon said this. He's also the inventor of the hipster beard. He said, one who lives without prayer One who lives with little prayer, one who seldom reads the word, one who seldom looks up to heaven for a fresh influence from on high, will be the person whose heart will become cold and barren. But the person who calls in secret to their God spends much time in holy seclusion, who delights to meditate on the words of the Most High, and whose soul is given up to Christ, and he prays for his second coming and delights in his glorious return. Such a person, I say, must have an overflowing heart. Right? It's going to be a full heart, and it's going to be a life that will speak from the grave and reverberate into the future. If you don't do this, the outcome of your life will be feeble, shallow, and superficial, and you might as well have not lived at all. Now, I didn't say that because it would be really rude to say that. Spurgeon just said this to us. He said, if you're not someone that is seeking God in the word and in prayer, you might as well have not lived at all because your life won't make an impact. We need to be connected in our spirits to God, and that happens as we seek him, and we, we can seek him in a consistent way by having a daily devotional time. We were actually created for this. This is why life feels like it isn't working and our life just feels like a mess and we're wondering, why why is I meant for more than this? It's because you were created for fellowship with God. And so when we're not doing that and we're seeking to replace that with, you know, idols or distractions, it won't satisfy us because we weren't created for those things. That's why God made us in his image and called us into the fellowship of his son. And so we have this amazing privilege of God making us for fellowship. So he's inviting us in to this relationship. <clears throat> Jesus himself had quiet times, right? And it was a source of strength for him. And you're thinking, man, like the God man, 
the God man woke up early. Like the God man didn't like hit snooze on his alarm clock. He actually got up early and spent time with the father. We see this in a beautiful way in Mark 135 where it says, now in the morning, having risen a long while before daylight, he went out and departed to a solitary place and he prayed. What a priority. They're always looking for him, right? They're like, Jesus, we're doing killer ministry over here. Where are you? Spend some time with the father. We're actually going to leave and we're going to go in this direction. And he would spend time before all the distractions of the world came, he would get up and get away from good people, from the disciples, right? From good ministry to spend time with the Father. I don't know if you've, you've gone a day without food, whether it's fasting or, or you're sick or in preparation for surgery. Isn't the worst thing about a surgery when they say, you actually can't eat a day before your surgery. You're like, oh, I'll just live with the broken pain or whatever it is. You know, but if you go too long without food, your strength begins to diminish, right? You begin to get a little bit weaker. And the same is true for our spiritual lives. It's actually a sign that something is wrong. You're spiritually unhealthy if there's no desire for the Word of God. Now, that, that's just meant to be an indicator for us. If we can get through the week without the Word of God and just kind of take it on Sundays or at young adults group, and we don't have a desire for the Word of God, that's a sign that you're spiritually unhealthy. Anyone ever, when you're sick, you don't feel like coffee? Are you serious? Is it me? Wait, when you, hold on, let me say it again. When you're sick, do you ever have a moment where you're like about to have coffee and you're like, no, I don't want coffee, and it's because you're sick? Are you, okay, just raise your hands. I need you to be interact. Just a couple Bible college students that feel bad for me. Okay, great. For me, if I wake up and I don't feel like having coffee, all of a sudden I'm like, oh no, I probably have a cold coming. And then sure enough, I'll have a cold or cough or something, and, and something's wrong. And so if, if you don't have a desire for the Word of God, just realize that's not the normal Christian experience. When God indwells you with his spirit, right, he's, he's bringing us to himself, and you've got this urge, this yearning for him, and we want to get to him, and that happens through the word of God and through prayer. Now, when I used to ask this question to youth group students, they would answer out loud, if you guys are smarter than to do this, but you know, how long would you go without bathing? You know, well, you know, this, this could be bad. You're going to smell bad, and we need to realize that the Word of God is shown to us in the Scriptures to be a spiritual bath, right? It cleanses us. The, the water of the Word cleanses us. And so, no wonder, it's, we go through life and it's like we're picking up these stains and these spots because we're, you know, we're watching, you know, stuff that's got so much culture and so little godliness in it and it's rubbing off on us and kind of begin to feel a bit fleshly and, you know, I don't wake up in the Spirit all the time. I have to put on Christ. And when I get into the Word of God, it takes all the culture's ideas that are ungodly and just helps me to, to refine them, to wash them away, to think them through the filter of God's Word. And it cleanses me. And I can stay in that attitude of wanting to be Christ-like instead of wanting to be just like the culture. The thing is, is we all have the same exact excuse. Every one of us in this room has the same exact excuse. We say, I just don't have enough time. I'm so busy. It's just not possible in the season later when I have more time. You're never going to have more time, right? We all have 168 hours each week, and we do make time for what's important, right? And so we've got to realize that if we are too busy to have daily devotions, then we're actually too busy. It would be more proper to figure out how to simplify our lives than it would be to ignore the Scriptures, It'd be better to say, man, how could I downsize my apartment or downsize, you know, get a, get a cheaper car or something so I don't have to work as much so I have time to seek the Lord in the Scriptures? It has to be that. It can't be that God has given you a life 
that he's expecting you to use to glorify him and then won't give you the time for what is the greatest strength that you'll have being in the word of God. Martin Luther said one of those crazy quotes that you hate that people say and you wish they wouldn't say, but he said, I have so much to do today that I must spend at least three hours in prayer. You're like, I hate you. I'm grateful for the, I'm grateful for the Reformation, but I hate you. Like, who says that you look, with your little painter hat, right? You're like, who does, I mean, I'm so busy. I need to get up early and spend three hours of prayer. No, you need to get to work because you're so busy and maybe you'll pray later. Well, that's, that's wrong. He realized that the real work is done in prayer. The real work is done behind the scenes, right, in the spiritual life. And, and he recognized that and the Lord used him. George Mueller, I mean, this is, if you've ever read a George Mueller biography, it's just, he's this modern day man of faith that, He's been praying for years that God would allow him to start these orphanages without even doing any fundraising. He just, he just would, would go there and, and, and say, this is, this is what we want to do, and people would give money, and it would always just be enough. And here's what he said about being busy. After having read through the Bible 100 times with increasing delight, he made this statement. I look upon it as a lost day when I have not had a good time over the Word of God. Friends often say, I have so much to do, so many people to see, I can't find time for scripture study. Perhaps there are not as many who have more to do than I. I've had annually about 3,000 letters to respond to. As a pastor of a church with 1,200 believers, I have a lot of people to minister to. Besides, I'm in charge of five immense orphanages, the printing of millions of tracts, books, and Bibles, but I have always made it a rule to never begin work until I have had a good season with God in his word, and the blessing I have received has been wonderful. He's right. I'm, I'm not as busy as him, right? I'm not, I'm not doing half of what he's doing and yet he prioritized the word of God. And that's the secret that you will find in any like spiritual giant's life. You will find a connection to the word of God and prayer despite the busyness that's going on in their lives. And so we need to learn from that. We need to realize that it's a lie when we're lying to ourselves. It feels real. I get it. It feels real. I've got three young kids, uh, Abigail, Gideon, and Titus, seven, five, and three years old. It feels like they could consume all my time and I could just be busy all the time. But in this season of my life, I know God will give me the grace to carve out time to spend with him so I can serve them. So I'm going to give some, some thoughts, some tips on how to have effective daily devotions I don't think we should write a script that we all follow for having effective daily devotions because these are very personal. This is spending time in the presence of God. There's some basic things that, that you'll want to do in that time, and so we'll go over those. The first is choose a consistent time. Don't just have this idea like, yeah, each day I should do devotions. Choose a consistent time, put it on the calendar, set the alarm so that you know when you hit snooze or skip that you're choosing to skip the time that you're, you're seeking the Lord, right? The only way to develop a habit is to do things in a similar way. And so saying, I'm going to do this at the same time each day is the best. And mornings do work best, right? Mornings, mornings work best. The Bible tells us to seek God all the time, right? Morning and evening throughout the day. But there's something about the mornings that really does help set us up for that day and what God might have for us that day. So I would encourage you, even if you're not a morning person, you can be a person who says, I mean, that's even more sacrificial. You could be the most sacrificial person in the room if you're like, I'm not a morning person, but I get up early, spend time with God, and then I pass out for a few more hours, right, and, and get back to not being a morning person. Hudson Taylor, a missionary to Asia, said, you don't tune up the instruments after the concert is over, 
right? We want to be in the Word of God before the day comes with all of its challenges and trials because, I mean, God is outside of time, right? God is, is sovereign, and He may want to speak to you something in the Word and in prayer that will be helpful for you during that day. So how much time do we actually spend with the Lord? Well, not less than 15 minutes, right? That, that should just be kind of a baseline. You don't have to leave here saying like, man, that was strong conviction. I'm going to spend four hours in the Word tomorrow morning before the conference. You're like, that's, that's cool. That don't, that's not happening, right? That's just not going to, it's just not going to be a life habit of yours. But it, it shouldn't be less than 15 minutes. 15 minutes a day only adds up to an hour and 45 minutes a week out of the 168 hours that we were created to spend fellowship with the Lord, right? And so, I would say start with, with 15 minutes and then, and then build from there. If in 15 minutes you're like, oh, I just don't have enough time to wrestle with the scriptures, then you get up a bit earlier the next day and you, and you give yourself a half hour or you, you have a half hour in the morning and then you take some time at lunch or in the evenings. But 15 minutes should be a baseline for spending time with the Lord. And then it doesn't, it doesn't mean 15 minutes is like a one and two hours is a 10 on the scale. Length of time isn't the goal. It's just having a priority and a sweet time with the Lord um, is, is what you want, however long that takes. You also want to make sure that you choose a consistent location as, as much as possible, especially, especially something that's secluded where you can be, you know, private. I remember before I was married, I would just have these sweet times of devotion where I would even, um, like, pray and, and sing to the Lord and sometimes even like lay down, you know, lay down on the floor and just pray and say, Lord, I'm unworthy. I love you, you know. And then I got married and that all seemed really lame to do in front of my wife. So I would just kind of pray like real cool sipping coffee, like, Lord, you're awesome. And so is my coffee, right? And my devotional time just got horrible. I was just like so dry. I felt like the Lord wasn't there, but my wife was there. And so I'd have this like awkward talk where I'm like, sweetie, we have to read the Bible separately. She's like, oh, I think it's weird too. Okay, you know, so, so we do like a couple's devotion time. We'll pray together. But we also seek the Lord separately because there's something about this noisy world and all the distractions and wanting to talk to people that, that can ruin our intimacy with the Lord. We want to make sure that we're reading the scriptures to understand them. If anyone's taking notes, you want to write down the, the best sermon you're ever going to read. It's titled, How to Read the Bible. And it's by Spurgeon. How to Read the Bible by Spurgeon. It's also like a big punch in the stomach. And so if you're, wait for until you're having a good day before you read it. But he really talks about, you need to read to understand. It doesn't count when you're reading and flipping the pages. And then all of a sudden you realize the entire time you've been daydreaming, but somehow you're going up and down the columns and flipping the pages. But if you can't remember anything, you didn't understand anything, obviously that's not going to help us at all. We have to read to understand, which is going to be slower. It means we're going to read, reread, read, and, and write down and process it and ask questions um, rather than reading and forgetting, right? So read to understand. Spurgeon said, some people like to read so many Bible chapters every day. I wouldn't dissuade them from that practice, but I would rather lay my soul a soak in half a dozen verses all day than rinse my hand in several chapters. Oh, to be bathed in the text of Scripture and to let it be sucked up in your very soul till it saturates your heart. That's a quote from that sermon. If you weren't interested in reading it, maybe, maybe you would be now. Right? We need to read to understand, and that just takes more time. And so it might be that you, you read in the morning and you realize, I need to bring my Bible with me as I'm commuting to work or, or whatever to, to keep thinking about this so I can spend time with the Lord. A.B. Simpson said, God has hidden every precious thing in such a way that it is a reward to the diligent, a prize to the earnest, but a disappointment to the slothful soul. 
All nature is against the lounger and the idler. The nut is hidden in its thorny case. The pearl is buried beneath the ocean waves. The gold is imprisoned in the rocky bosom of the mountains. The gem is only found after you crush the rock which encloses it. And the very soil gives its harvest as a reward to the laboring farmer. So truth in God must be earnestly sought. He's trying to make the point. Everything that's valuable is difficult to get at. Right? It's like gold, pearls, everything, that, everything that's cool and valuable that's worth something takes so much work that most people don't go for it. Most, most people don't seek those things. I wasn't just like walking around and all of a sudden, oh, I, I tripped over. Oh, Shannon, how are you? I'd like to marry you. That was easy. Right? Sorry, I stepped on you, babe. Right? It's, it, 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 I had to be sneaky and cunning and deceitful and clever. No, I mean, no, I mean, I had to, but you know, I had to do some stuff, you know, and I had to brush my teeth, comb my hair, and right? it, it was work. Right? And so the beautiful, amazing things don't just come easy. It's like it would be ridiculous to think that you pop up in the Bible one second later, you're like, wow, that changed my life. And your life is different from that. No, you spend time in God's word and, and give it a priority and watch what he'll do. And so we need to slow down and meditate on the scriptures, kind of chew on them like it's, like it's food. You want to get every little bit out of it. So you have to, you have to slow down. Um, no matter how many chapters you want to read and acquaint yourself with the, with the text and get, get close to it. Right? R.C. Sproul said this, we fail in our duty to study God's word not so much because it is difficult to understand, not so much because it is dull and boring, but because it is work. Our problem is not a lack of intelligence or a lack of passion. Our problem is that we're lazy. You're like, yeah, it's true, Right? It, it, it really, the, the Bible isn't necessarily academically confusing. You know, there's revelation and stuff like that. But, but the, the Bible, the message of the, of the good news is so simple that children can believe it, right? Mostly, if you spend time with the Word of God, with the right tools, God will speak to you, right? And God will, God will challenge your life in, in, in healthy ways, right? In good ways where this is what His Word was intended to do. The problem usually is just a, a, a laziness, not that it's difficult, Something that's kind of lost, lost in our generation, but my parents told me they were, this was a big part of, of their upbringing in the church is scripture memorization, right? We, we, we can read and journal and things like that, but back in the day, people memorized scripture like crazy. My kids are in Awanas, and so they're pumping out like a new verse every week, and sometimes it puts the Bible college students to shame, and I remind them of that. You know, oh, look at my little, my, my three-year-old Titus is singing the books of the Bible because he hears his big sister and big brother doing it, so he's like, Jeremiah, Matthew, and you're like, whoa, that's a, well, no, that's wrong, Titus, but it's cute, and you're saying it right, but, right, they're already, they're already learning scriptures, Right? And David said, your word I have hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. That's just one of the many benefits of hiding God's word into our heart. Have you guys ever thought about how Jesus, when he was tempted in Matthew 4 and in Luke 4, how interesting it is that he quoted scriptures from Deuteronomy 6 through Deuteronomy 8? The whole Old Testament was available to him. The enemy of, of all of our souls is right in front of him. And what does he quote back to, to Satan? Three verses from just a, a handful of chapters it's interesting that one, I mean, most of what Jesus talked about was in Isaiah. So why, why just Deuteronomy 6 through 8 for the verses he quoted back? Is it possible, this is conjecture, so don't write this down. Is it possible that Jesus was meditating on three to four chapters of, of the Old Testament that morning, and that's what the Father used to help him fight off the enemy? I think it's possible. 
I like to read four chapters every morning and then focus in on a paragraph or a verse. And so it's a pretty common length of scripture to meditate on. And it prepared him for the battle that was that day. All right. Billy Graham said this about memorizing God's word. The word of God hidden in the heart is a stubborn voice to suppress. Right. You memorize God's word and then it kind of haunts you in a good way. We're like, oh, yeah, I know that truth. I know that truth. And the Holy Spirit can use it now. You're giving him tools to use in your life, not just for sanctification or avoiding temptation, but to minister to other people that desperately need help. Chuck Swindoll said, I know of no other single practice in the Christian life more rewarding, practically speaking, than memorizing scripture. No other single exercise pays greater spiritual dividends. Your prayer life is strengthened. Your witnessing is sharper and more effective. Your attitude is an outlook to begin to change. Your mind becomes alert. Your confidence and insurance is enhanced. Everything changes when we begin to memorize scripture. And so, and so do that, right? We need to, there's apps to do that. I've got a cool scripture memory app on my phone that you can, you can speak the verses into it and then even speed them up and listen to them a bunch. And there's all, there's all different kinds of tools that we have, but we need to be memorizing scripture. Now, we'll talk about this throughout the weekend, but when we're reading the scripture, this is very different than reading a calculus book or, or just a history book, right? We are reading a book that Jesus showed us in Luke 24. It's all about him. Right? In John 5, 39, it says, You search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life, and these are they which testify of me. Right? And so when we read the scriptures, it's not just for moralism, right? It's not just for good morals, like, oh, I shouldn't lie. I should tell the truth. No, we should read the scriptures in a way where our relationship with Jesus actually gets better. So that's going to involve reading and thinking about what are we learning about Jesus, the Father, and the Holy Spirit. And then it's going to involve reading and talking about it with God right, and talking about it with, with Jesus and saying, what, what does this mean, and what are you trying to show me, and how did you live this out, and it's going to be one of the sweetest times that you have is not just reading, not just memorizing, but reading and discussing this with the Lord so that you can grow in your relationship with him. So you can have a basic plan. I mean, here's, here's, here's what some people's devotional schedule would look like. You know, you would, you'd want to wake up and briefly pray, and this would be a quick prayer, Right? This would be something where it's just a minute just to, just to settle your heart before the Lord, not going through your whole you know, prayer list of everything you want to talk about. And then you'd want to have at some point an opportunity to praise God. And that could be reading a psalm joyfully. For those that have mu- musical talents, you could, you could use those. You could sing to the Lord. You could read a hymn to the Lord. You know, but you want to praise him and, and give him glory. And then you want to read the Bible, and I would say to do it systematically, not haphazardly. Don't every day wake up not knowing where you're going to read, right? You want to, you want to, if you want to have the freedom to jump all over the place, at least have a consistent reading plan, working your way through all the New Testament or all the Bible. And then when you're done, you can say, all right, Holy Spirit, is anywhere else that you want to remind me of to go to? But if you don't have a plan to read through the Scriptures, do you ever think you're going to end up in Leviticus? Has anyone ever heard the Holy Spirit be like, Leviticus, Numbers? He doesn't, he doesn't say it. He's not even going to say it, right? That's a lie. But, you know, so we have to read systematically through the Scriptures. And if you want to have a moment with the Holy Spirit, after that, say, okay, Lord, where, is there anywhere else you want me to be reading? Meditate on the Scriptures. And there's, there's tons of ways to do that. We'll be talking about that all weekend. But really slow down and think about it and, and, and write about it. And I would say if you have never tried journaling, that alone will, will change your life, right? Just journaling. And we'll go over a journaling technique at the end of the talk tonight. But just reading the scriptures and beginning to write down something happens 
where your mind has to really formulate your thoughts as you're writing it down. And it's a way to process the scriptures and it can be so helpful. And then you close in prayer. And this is a time where you're going through a prayer list and you're praying in a variety of, of techniques and, and really spending time talking to the Lord about, about your life and about other people's lives <coughs> and about him. And so that's one basic possible plan of how you could go through the scriptures. Let me tell you my favorite way to spend a year in the scriptures. And I, and I did this one year and it was just fantastic. I would recommend to buy a new Bible if you do this. If that's heretical, then you at least need a new highlighter color. All right. If you can't do that, then I can't help you. All right. But buy a new Bible and imagine this. You read one to four chapters a day. You guys know if you read one chapter a day, you can get through the entire New Testament in a year and have a hundred fail days. This is my kind of plan, right? A hundred days you can go to bed being like, oh, I didn't read today. A hundred times. And at the end of the year, you can say, I read the New Testament this year. And everyone's going to be like, you're amazing. You're like, I had a hundred fails. But you actually still pulled it off. So one chapter a day gets you through the whole New Testament. Um, four chapters a day will get you through the entire Bible. So whatever you want to read, one or four, you read a chapter. Before you move on to the next chapter, you have to look through the chapter and you have to highlight or, or underline just one verse in every chapter that you think is the most impactful verse. It can be your you know, favorite verse, impacting, beautiful verse, whatever it is. What's the one verse that you want to focus on? You underline it. Then you go into your journal and you just write one to two sentences about why you underlined it. This verse meant a lot to me because it's helping me with this struggle, right? Or this verse taught me this about how our Father is really merciful, right? And then you move on to the next chapter and you just find only one verse. Now, this is going to be really easy in Leviticus. You're going to be like, I like maybe this verse, right? Maybe this one verse. But when you're in the Sermon on the Mount, you're going to freak out. Like, how can I only underline one verse in the Sermon on the Mount? This is impossible. I hate Andy. You know, it's a stupid, dumb rule. It's actually a good rule. It makes you meditate and choose and, and force yourself to say, no, this is why I love this verse. And you choose one verse. When you get to the end of the book, so say you're in Genesis, you've underlined 50 verses. Before you move on to Exodus or, or anywhere else, you pause and you look through just the 50 verses that you underline. And now you circle the verse that's your favorite verse for the entire book. Right? And, then you, and then you write why that's the favorite. I would even turn to the front page and just write that verse on the front page of that book. So Genesis, and here's the verse that's my favorite. Now, if you follow this, what will happen is at the end of the year, you're going to have 1,189 favorite verses underlined in your Bible and 66 all-time favorite verses. Anytime you hear somebody discussing the scriptures, you can go up to someone and say, oh, hey, what'd you read today? And they said, oh, I read Ezekiel chapter 4. Now, you might not have been in Ezekiel for four months, but you can pull out your journal or you can flip open your Bible and say, oh, in Ezekiel 4, this is my favorite verse. And they'll say, well, why? And you pull out your journal and you say, oh, yeah, this is why I like that verse. You literally have a conversation about every chapter of the Bible with people in a moment that will connect it to your heart about what God's been speaking to you. Now, I did this for a year. And at the, at the end of that year, while I was in Revelation, I got off a plane and I left that Bible on a plane. I walked through the security where they say, don't go, come back here anymore. And all of a sudden I went, <gasps> and I turned back around and the guy's like, like this. And I'm like, it's just a, uh, it's a Bible, you know, and, but it's an important Bible. And so I walked over a phone. Somehow six minutes later, they brought me my Bible and it really wasn't a big deal. I was being too dramatic, I guess. The people leave things on planes. You know, but why did I almost get shot for the Bible? Because it meant so much to me. The Bible is already valuable. Many people have died for the word of God. 
right? Many people have died. Why did it become so valuable to me? Because I put all this work and time into it, and now it began to feel as valuable as it actually is. So I, I, I think it's a great method. If you already have a Bible that you're not getting away from, just use a different color at least when you're going through it, and you can keep that Bible. What's going to happen is the battle of the blankets, right? Every night you're like, I'm going to be in the Word tomorrow. And you mean it. You're not even lying to yourself. You're like, I'm, gonna, I'm setting my alarm. I'm going to be in the Word tomorrow. And then something, you know, something happens, and it's called an alarm clock. And you're like, why would I think that was an okay idea? Of course I'll do my devotions during lunch, afternoon, dinner, tomorrow night. So you hit snooze. You know when you hit snooze once, it means I will never read my Bible and I hate God, right? No, I'm kidding. But you know it means you're actually not going to do your devotions, right? Because you'll hit it five times, and all of a sudden you got to get up and, and rush through. But then what happens, and this happens to all of us, you get so busy with the day's distractions and work and studying that what you begin to think is, well, I'll try again tomorrow, right? And, and you, you kind of skip a day because it, 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 you missed that opportunity in the morning. The day has a way of getting so busy. Wilbur Smith said, if the time has gone for our, from our devotional reading on any one day before the chapter has yielded some truth for our souls, we can give it further thought while riding down to work in our car or as we go about our normal activities. But don't let that particular passage in the Word remain for you a barren area. Keep drilling through the soil and rock until you strike living water. We can't give up. Even if you read and it doesn't make sense or it doesn't help you, you need to keep pressing into it. Keep talking about it with people. Look things up in a commentary, right, so that that part of Scripture doesn't stay barren for you anymore but becomes life-giving. If I miss a meal, I don't have the same thought that I do about Bible devotions, right? Has this happened to you where it's like, oh, man, I miss breakfast, I guess I'll skip lunch and dinner and try breakfast tomorrow. I've never done that. I'm always like, oh, I can't wait to eat. And then I, I still have breakfast and, lunch, uh, breakfast and dinner. Right? But for some reason, with the Word of God, if you miss your morning devotions, you're like, man, mornings are the best time. I'll try again tomorrow. we got to break that habit. That's just a terrible, that's bad logic. That doesn't make any sense, right? When you miss your morning time, the benefit is that you do have lunch, dinner, and evenings to make that time up with the Lord. It's been said it's better to practice 15... 15 minutes a day of an instrument every day than to practice for several hours only on a few days, right? We just need to be consistent in the Word of God. Now, there's some practical examples of people who have been consistent that for me are just really encouraging and challenging that I want to share with you. The first is Isabel Kuhn. She's a missionary um, to China, and she wrote a book called The Arena, and she was a student at Moody Bible Institute. How many of you are students right now? students, right? And so sometimes when you're a student, you're like, well, I can do all that God stuff after college because I'm a student right now. I'm so busy. She felt the same way. She felt so busy. She felt that her, her school life was so demanding that she was in danger of quenching her devotional life. And so she and a few other students who were facing this problem, they signed a covenant, not a vow, they said, but a covenant where they would spend one hour with the Lord in his presence every day. They got together. They thought this was a good idea. They were going to pray and read the scriptures for an hour. And so the purpose of this was to form the habit of putting God's word in the center of the day and fitting the busyness of life around that priority of his word rather than letting the day's busyness occupy the central place and trying to squeeze a quiet time in the odd corner here or there. So for her, the major problem became finding a quiet place because she had dormitory living where she was at. And so for her, she said, the only place I could find where no one would disturb me was the cleaning closet in the hallway. 
So each morning I stole down the hall, entered the closet, turned the scrubbing pail upside down, sat on it with mops and dust rags hanging around my head. I spent a precious half hour with the master. The other half hour had to be found at the end of the day. Now sometimes when you hear something like that, you're like, that's crazy. Why would she, why would she turn a pail upside down, a mopping pail, and have dust rags around her head, spending time with the Lord? Because for her, the most important thing was seclusion. She, it doesn't matter what's around us that's physical, right? If we, can, if we can have a private moment with the Lord, that was so much more valuable to her than the dust that was all around her. So what an example of someone who's busy, who finds a creative way to say, I'm going to spend time with the Lord no matter what my situation is, even dormitory living. Bertha Smith was a missionary to China. She lived in a bitterly cold part of China. During the day, she had to wear 30 pounds of clothing. And at night, she had to sleep under heavy bedding with a hot water bottle. This is just to survive, right? Her challenge came in the early morning hour when she wanted to rise before others so she could have her quiet time before the scores of interruptions each day brought. Now, if anyone had an excuse to wait until the noonday sun warmed it up enough so that you could only wear 30 pounds of clothing, I think it's Bertha Smith, right? But here's what she did. She would struggle in the darkness early hours in the morning to put on her 30 pounds of clothing. Then she would break the ice to wash her face in the cold water. And then she would slip out to a particular haystack where she would rake aside the frosted part of the hay, kneel down, and spend time with the Lord before the sun came up. That's just one of those stories you're like, I just don't even know if I'm a Christian. Like if anyone, if her story was Bertha Smith was a missionary to China and it was so cold that she had to have 30 pounds of clothing on and under all her covers, she read the Bible with a, a lamp. You'd be like, wow. But she like went outside and raked away frost and it's ridiculous, right? And you think, man, I feel like you know how the Bible says that one day the Ninevites are going to rise up and, and judge the people because a greater than Jonah is here. I feel like one day Bertha Smith is going to rise up and judge us like you lazy Americans, Right? <laughs> Thomas Watson said this, the best time to converse with God is before worldly occasions stand knocking at the door to be let in. The morning, as it were, is the cream of the day. Let the cream be taken off and let God have it. Wind up thy heart towards heaven at the beginning of the day and it will go better all the day after. He that loses his heart in the morning in the world will hardly find it again all the day. O oh, Christians, let God have your morning meditations. I think of like, what do you do when you have little kids and the parents want to go to Starbucks, right? You, you don't always want to buy them a, a smoothie or, or something. And so we usually just uh, get something with some whipped cream on top and give it to the kids. Like, oh, look at the whipped cream. They're like, this is great. Thanks for bringing us to Starbucks, mom and dad, right? Because it's kind of the best part. And, and he's saying, and the, the, really the best part of your day is that peaceful time in the morning. Give that to God. Give that to God and fit in your work in the busyness, but give God the sweetest time of your day. William Carey was a missionary to Transylvania. Well, that's at least what he looks like, but no, he's just a normal missionary. I think it was to Burma. Sorry. He's better than me, but on Carey, as the director of the whole enterprise, the heaviest burden of responsibility fell. He was still a gardener at heart, <coughs> and he found God especially near among the flowers and the shrubs of a garden. In the walled garden of the mission house at Sarampur, he built an arbor, which he called his bower. I don't know what that means. Then at sunrise, before tea, and at the time of the full moon, when, listen, when there was the least danger from snakes, 
He meditated and prayed, and the book which he ceaselessly translated for others was his own source of strength and refreshment. He's like, I will choose the time of day where I am least likely to be bitten by serpents. That is when I will worship the Lord. I'm like, I will, I can do it anytime. And I can set my air conditioning on an app before, sometimes I do this. In the morning, I'm like, oh, it's so cold, right? And, and so I, I change the air conditioning on my Wi-Fi app to the heat, warm up the house. I'm like, devotion time, right? It's just the opposite of all the cool people. All the cool people do better things than that. But uh, anyway, Earl Cairns, he's Lord Chancellor of the Republic in Star of England, in England, not Star Wars. Um, he was an extremely busy man. So he's like a parliament man in England. No matter what time he reached home in the evening, he always arose at the same hour to have his quiet time the next morning. His wife said, we would sometimes get home from parliament at two o'clock in the morning. But Lord Cairns would always arise at the same hour to pray and study the Bible. He later attributed all of his success in his life to this practice. I think he went on to be a prime minister as well. This is a cool habit to say no matter what time I'm up and even doing ministry, whether I'm doing a hospital visit or have a late night or I feel sick, the one thing that will be non-negotiable is this time of day, I want to set my body clock to wake up so consistently that no matter when I go to bed, I'm getting up for the word. You're like, that's impossible. Well, what about when things happen, right? Well, when things happen, you get up, you have your time in the word, and then that night you go to bed at 8.30, and that's how you make it up. We like to make it up in the morning by skipping devotions, but we could, we could make it up by going to bed earlier that evening. I think this is an amazing habit, and he attributes his success to it. D.L. Moody uh, says he was an early riser. He generally rose about daybreak in the summer and devoted the early hours to Bible study and communion with God. He used to say that one who followed this plan could get no more than 24 hours away from God. Like what harm could happen to you if every 24 hours you check in with God? And you think about the, all the terrible paths your life could take. But if every day you're checking in with God, you're likely not to go all the way down those paths. And so that was a habit of his. G. Campbell Morgan, this is a guy who's just one of the best preachers of all time, especially with the Gospels and Acts. He's got great commentaries for that. Here was a man who coveted for himself a constant withdrawal from the pressing demands of a busy life. And he kept invalid the sanctity of the early morning vigil of prayer and meditation. Here he breathed the atmosphere of heaven and daily recharged his spirit with the power that in turn poured out an extravagant measure in the preaching and proclamation of the word. This is a man who, it's actually legendary when you, people talk about him, they're like, oh, he would never preach a passage unless he read it 40 times. And then the rumor goes up to 100 times. He, I won't preach this passage until I've read it because he wanted to really know what it meant. One of the best preachers of all time, and he said the most important thing was getting up early. L. Nelson Bell was a missionary doctor, and the most important habit in his life was his devotional life. Early every morning, he had a cup of coffee and went to his desk for about an hour of Bible study and prayer. He set himself to master the content and meaning of the Bible, devising such study schemes as looking up every Old Testament reference, which occurs a New Testament verse, and typing it out. And then he turned to prayer for friends and colleagues and patients, praying especially for every patient listed for operation that day. This cycle of reading and prayer didn't strike Nelson as formidable, but vital. This is like the best doctor in the world, right? You're like, he spends an hour in the Word, then he prays for those he's going to operate on, then he operates on you. It's like, oh, I wish I had that doctor, right? Um, I mean, and he, he was able to not only help people with his skill of being a surgeon, but then obviously that led into so many great spiritual conversations where he ministered to others. 
And once again, George Mueller, he was at one point in his life having health problems. The doctors advised to him more sleep. You're like, where can I find the name of that doctor? You need more naps. Oh, I love this guy. Right? That's, the copay is worth it. So, so he began sleeping later each morning, but he grew worse and worse. He finally determined that his late rising was interrupting his quiet time, and that was affecting him spiritually. His spiritual decline was simply worsening his physical health, he thought. So he resumed his habit of early rising for prayer and Bible study. His biographer wrote this, The resumption of early rising gave him long seasons of uninterrupted interviews with God and prayer and meditation on the scriptures. Before breakfast and the various inevitable interruptions that followed, he found himself not worse, but better physically and became convinced that to have lain longer in his bed before, like before, would have kept his nerves weak. And as to his spiritual life, such new vitality and vigor accrued from waiting on God while others slept that it continued to be the habit of his later years. Right? Now, whether or not that's, that's what happened or not, we don't know. But this is how much he loved the Lord that he would say, the doctor says that I should sleep more. I think me missing my devotions is worsening my physical health. And so he reverses all that. And in his case, that did change his physical health and, and, and really uh, ministered him. So these, these stories are so encouraging. We were like, yeah, in my best moments, I want to be a man or a woman that is in the word. Right? I want to be in the Word of God. I want to get up early. It's probably possible for me to do that. And so I'm, I want to be this person. Right? And so we've, we've got all these examples. And we've got examples of people around us that just quietly seek the Lord, make it a priority, have had the same struggles, but now have that as a habit. There's a poem that someone very close to all of us wrote that, um, that I think sums all this up. This is by, by Pastor Brian Weed. He was leading worship here a little bit earlier. This is amazing. I, what are the odds? that he's the one that would have written this poem. But it kind of sums up a devotional life. I'm so glad he shared this with me. There is a quiet place, far from the rapid pace, where God can soothe my troubled mind. Sheltered by tree and flower, there in my quiet hour, with him my cares are left behind. Whether a garden small or on a mountain tall, new strength and courage I find. Then from this quiet place, I go prepared to face a new day with love for all mankind. Can we give it up for Brian? Where's, where are you at? Where are you at, Brian? There, there he is, right there. I believe he's on Fiverr. He's on that website, Fiverr, and he writes poems for five bucks if you guys want to look him up. Um, and so I hope some of the things I shared with you, you know, were just kind of helpful for bringing a healthy conviction about, yeah, this, this needs to be the priority, right? Other things, it's like seek first the kingdom of God and all these things will be added to me. When we spend time in the word, you know, then it's just natural to serve the Lord, right? And to serve others and to bless others and to love others. And so in your packet that you got, I've got two simple techniques for meeting with the Lord that are very devotional. One is called the, the hear journaling method, and the other is just a simple way to pray through the scriptures. Both of them will just allow for such a sweet time with the Lord. Now, if you already have really good journaling habits, then this might be something that you're like, oh, I already, I already journal in a certain way. But if you've never tried journaling, here's a simple way that you could do it. I'm not sure if you're, yes, you will be able to see it. Good. So it's in, it's in your packet there. But the hear journaling method involves you highlighting uh, one scripture. So say you've read through four chapters or one chapter and you want to focus on one verse or one paragraph to really, to really meditate on. And so you just, you write that verse out. Then you explain 
uh, what that verse meant in the historical setting. So the author consciously intended to communicate something to the original audience. What do you think that was? Once we know what it meant historically in that real historical time period, right, then we can move on to how it applies to us. And then there's um, application. And so now that I know what it meant in its interpretation, how can I live it out myself? Tomorrow we're going to be talking about how to craft a really healthy application that can transform your lives as you look at the scriptures. And then there's a response to turn what you've read into a prayer back to the Lord. And so just a quick example, if you were looking at James 1, 19 through 20, so, okay, that's the verse I'm going to highlight. I'm going to write it out. You know, writing something out is the same as reading it seven times when it comes to a memory technique. And so it's good to write it out, even though you could copy and paste it, right? And so it says, uh, Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Like, okay, good verse. That's the verse I'm highlighting. What does it mean? What does it mean in its original setting? What was... What you're tempted to always say, what did Paul meant when you're talking about the New Testament? But what did James mean when he was, was writing this? And so you sit there and you think about it and you look at the context and you examine it and you, and you, you say, okay, well, maybe James is writing to believers and reminding them that if, if they want to be right with God, then they can't let their anger get the best of them. They can't flesh out on people. How can they accomplish this? He instructs them that it starts with being a good listener and continues by asking God for patience to be gracious with people. And you're like, that's kind of what he's trying to communicate to that audience in that time period. Sometimes you might be reading and it's just like, yeah, the king of Israel said this to his people for the purpose of whatever. What did it mean in its historical setting? None of this involves us yet. This is just what did James desire to communicate to the believers he was writing to? When it comes to application, what does it mean to me? Well, you could say, looking at this verse, how does it fit your similarities and your modern life? I find myself judging people too quickly, and this can lead to anger when I disagree with them. Tomorrow when I'm around my friends, I'm going to be proactive to ask them a lot of questions rather than talking so much. This will show them I care about them, and it will give me a chance to really get to know what they are thinking. Maybe as I hear them more deeply from their perspective, I'll understand where they're coming from, and hopefully this will lead to less arguments about our disagreements. Since the anger of man dishonors God, I'm also going to take a day to fast and pray to ask God for more patience. So that would be an example of looking at a verse and saying, how does it relate to me? Well, I'm not always quick to listen. Right? Sometimes I am quick to speak, and then sometimes I do get angry in those situations. And so what is God calling me to do? And we're really going to dive into to this tomorrow, and you try and make it very practical for your situation. And then you respond by, by taking what you've learned and, and praying it back to the Lord so you can build that relationship with him. And you can write that prayer out. Lord, I talk too much. <laughs> I think this is because of pride. I value my own words too much and care too little for what others think and say. Please forgive me for this. Jesus modeled humility, and that is the path I want to walk down as well. Help me to love others by being a better listener. Take this anger out of my heart and replace it with patience and grace for others. My flesh is strong in this area, so, so please help me, right? This is a real example, by the way. I'm a terrible person. <laughs> my beautiful red-headed wife just say redheaded because it's fun. She's red. I never thought I was going to marry a redhead. You know, people are like, who do you like more, blondes or brunettes? Like, I, I didn't know redhead was a category because they're so, like, they're, like, going extinct, you know? So this offends my wife for some reason when we talk about this in premarital counseling. But, but you know, it's a, I, I find myself cutting her off. We're doing premarital counseling with a young Bible college couple, and I'm like, I'm saying so much, and then she's just, like, a patient, godly woman, so she'll just smile at me, and I'm like, 
I think I'm offending her, and then I'll ask her, she's like, yeah, you talk, you talk all the time. You never let me talk. And I'm like, the, pro- the problem is that I, 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 I like what I say. Like, I really think what I'm saying is the right way, so why give someone else a chance to, you know, and then I realize, man, I like, my wife is wise, and, and why would I ever cut her off? And so this is a real-life example of a horrible human being, all right? So that's one way you could go about journaling, right? Journaling. Now, let's say you're like, all right, but how can I, how can I help my prayer life? Often our prayer lives are stagnant, right? We, we pray for, like, the same four or five things. We've got a list, and... No wonder it becomes boring when we give the same few requests to God each time. That's why some people have discovered that praying through Scripture gives you such a variety in your, in your life of prayer because you're going through so many different passages, and there's obviously different topics in those. And so you've got another packet where you could say, I'm going to choose a chapter of the Bible, and I'm going to pray through it. Now, Psalms works best for this, but you could do it for any portion of Scripture. So let's say you wanted to do Psalm 23, because it's a nice little short six-verse chapter for our example. Then what you could do is you read, you read verse 1, right? So you read verse 1. I don't have it pulled up. That would have been helpful. But you read, you read verse 1, and then after you're done reading it, you pause and say, okay, what are, the, what are the topics that are in this verse that I can pray back to the Lord? And so you might see a couple key words in there that you think are, are going to— oh, look at that. It's already pulled up. In there, the Lord is with me. All right, so it says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Okay, how do I turn that back into a prayer? Lord, I just read that. Okay, next verse. No. You, you, would, you would focus in on probably the word shepherd there and the idea of if he's my shepherd, I'm not going to want or desire things that aren't even necessary for me, right? So your prayer could be, Father, thank you for sending Jesus to be the good shepherd in my life. Please help me not to be anxious for any lack in my life. I know you're going to provide for me. Help me not to want for myself what is not (coughs) your best for my life. And this prayer could go on for minutes and minutes. And so often you'll do this verbally instead of, you know, writing it down. And so as the Lord is showing you things, you may be praying this and all of a sudden you realize, man, there's a person in my life who's desperate for God's provision. I'm going to pray that God would show himself as a, a good shepherd to them. And you spend some time praying for them. The idea is that you take the key themes in the passage and, and use that as a springboard to keep praying to the Lord. Verse 2 says, he makes me to lie down in green pastures and he leads me beside still waters. And so you may pray, thank you for bringing refreshment into my life. I can rest because you finished the work already. You're a source of peace in my chaotic world, so help me to meditate on you often, right? And so they can be sure. Now, sometimes you may read a verse, and you're like, I got nothing. And that's, that's okay. You can skip that verse. You can group verses together and read a whole chapter, or a whole paragraph, and then pray it back to the Lord. Verse 3, he restores my soul and leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. You, you saved me, and, and you make, you're making me like your son, Apart from you, I'm carnal and, and wicked, but with your help, I'm being transformed and sanctified. Your son is my, my righteousness. You will get the glory as people see this change in me. Your name will be lifted up. And you just go along with those themes. And so I've got a couple examples in here. All these are going to be in the slides that you'll be able to review. But my, my homework for you, my challenge for you, is that you would do one of these things tomorrow. If you've got a great devotional routine, great, but it'd be kind of cool if tomorrow morning we come in and everyone's either got a hear journaling method that they can say, oh, did you do the hear journaling method or the pray through the scripture? And you're like, both, because I'm trying to marry someone here. Like, oh, 
Yeah, it's actually a bit more desirable that you would do both. I'm, I'm interested in going out across the street. There's a lobster place across the street if you're buying, right? And so hopefully you don't talk to that person unless that's who you're going to marry. But, um, so, but wouldn't it be cool if one or the other was done, you're like, oh, who did the here journaling method? And you've got this way to talk with people about here's, here's where I read in the scriptures this morning, here's where I focused on, here's what the Lord showed me, or when I was praying through the scriptures, this is what really stood out to me. So I'd encourage you to actually do this. I'm a professor, I have to do things like this, right? It's homework. I actually changed the slide from homework to practice because you're not my students, right? I did that yesterday, this, uh, this afternoon. Um, so I, I know you don't want to do this, but it would be a sweet thing. If we did this tonight, tomorrow morning, before we gathered back in here, right? And if you're looking for big cash prizes, I can't promise you that. But, um, but you'll, you'll have some great conversations with people if you do this. So I'm going to put up on the, on the screen a phone number. Um, I don't know whose phone number it is, but they're collecting questions. If you have any questions on what we talked about tonight, I'll put this number up at the end of each of our uh, sessions together. And then our fourth session together tomorrow is going to be a Q&A time, all right? And so um, if you have questions, then write that number down and text the questions. It's probably someone's real phone number, so we could also all take out our phone and call it all at the same time right now. If all of us, if a hundred of us all of a sudden went and like found a nice animated gift and sent it there right now, those things are all fair game as well. But if you have a question and you put it on there, then we'll try and answer it uh, during our Q&A session. So... Let me go ahead and pray for us, but obviously the key and the goal is having a healthy conviction for being in God's Word. And I've been a pastor for, I don't know, since 2000-something, since 2007-ish maybe, or six. And so th there's been 13 years or so that I've been a pastor. There's been seasons during that time where I've had really weak devotional lives. And I can just tell you those are the worst seasons I've had. Those are the seasons where I'm fleshing out on people, where I'm grumpy, where I'm misrepresenting the Lord as I'm ministering to people and I don't have the right attitude. But when I am prioritizing God's word personally, it makes me more, more patient with my family, more loving and willing to serve those around me. And it, it really is a key. It was a source of strength for Jesus and it is for us as well. So, so Father, would you help us to prioritize this, Lord? It's such a privilege that we get to spend time with you, Lord. You, you very easily could have saved us and put us on a planet and just said, don't talk to me, stay away from me. But you saved us and then you invite us into fellowship with you. You saved us into a body of Christ where we can minister the word of God one to another. Lord, th this word is so vital for our spiritual health. And I, I pray that no one here would have a condemnation from the enemy for having a weak devotional life or weak reading habits. Lord, protect us from any condemnation from the enemy and always protect us from legalism. That doesn't help us, Lord. But, but if we're just lazy and if we just have bad habits and if we just need help, Lord, then I pray that we would find accountability this weekend to take the next month and really develop having a sweet habit of spending time with you in the scriptures each day and just enjoying it. And it'll be something that we can pass on to those around us and pass on to our, our families. And, and, and it'll be a source of strength, just like it was uh, in your life, Lord. So thank you for modeling that in your humanity, Lord. Um, with the capacity a human has, has, Lord, this is what you told us is a great way to start our day. And so we want to, in Jesus' name, amen.